Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. for jewelry that makes an impact on your self-care routine and your style and powerography would like to offer you a discount code to one of our exclusive partners quartz and canary jewelry and wellness company use code empower 15 to receive 15 percent off upon checkout at www.quartzandcanary.com quartz and canary is truly the place where spirituality meets style Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Tina Wellsom. She is a physical therapist, the owner of The Key to Wellness and The Key Publishing House, a holistic transformation coach, and an international bestselling author. Welcome, Tina. Good morning. How are you today? Good morning, Brad. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Excellent. It is my pleasure and my honor. Thank you very much for taking the time to be here today with me and share a little bit about your story and your journey. I am looking forward to jumping in and learning and sharing more about who you are and what you do. I appreciate you and thank you. Thank you. I appreciate all the work that you are doing and I can't wait till you ask me about my favorite word. (laughs) (laughs) so let's jump right in as i mentioned you are a physical therapist you are the owner and founder of the key to wellness and the key publishing house a transformation coach an international best-selling author and last but certainly not least a mom that is one hell of a lot of hats you wear and one hell of a resume how important is prioritization and organization for you and how do you stay on top of things You know, it's funny in terms of wearing hats, I don't wear hats, which might be how I do it all. I don't know. I I grew up skiing and my parents would always tell me we had to wear a hat to keep the heat in. You see how much hair I have. I I don't, I didn't ever have a problem with keeping the the warmth in my head or my body. And I, I have a really little head. So hats never fit. So I always love hats. And I feel like as a business owner, everybody has a hat picture on their website. So I'm, I'm still looking for my, so I don't wear them all. Well, I guess I do. I guess I don't wear one is maybe how I work it. I think one of my innate talents is I'm extremely efficient. So that has always been, you know, when people say, how did you get that done? Or how did you read that, write that, do that? How did you accomplish that in that time? I read quick. I process quick. I act, I wouldn't say rashly, but I, once I have that information, I, I do move forward. I'm a crazy scheduler. I have a written calendar I have a digital calendar that's wow. color coded. It's crazy. It's kind of crazy. Sometimes I joke that I have scheduling OCD and PTSD. I'm always <laughs> checking like who has to be where and what has to be done. And, and now with all of you know these business things have to be, and what do I have to get done? So I would say prioritization is definitely important because I think that because I am multi-passionate and love to do so many things, I have to almost like rein myself in and keep yeah. myself focused. But I do start every day. I make my coffee. And the first thing I do is I write down 10 gratitudes, which, you know, just keeps me focused on all the things that are going right in my life. And then I have three things that I look at. I look at my calendar and it's like, what three things am I focusing on today? And, you know, if there's a day where I'm teaching all day, that it just might be like, teach a good class and, you know, inspire my students. And then it might be dinner with the kids. And then it might just be like, I actually have to schedule in relaxing because I'm not so good at that. But, (laughs) you know, other days it's, you know, reach out to so many authors or, you know, show up and have a podcast interview Mm -hmm. with somebody awesome. You know, it's just, you know, I really, I write things down and I, I do calendar them in and I do know that nothing, it's, it's like the construction going on in my house right now nothing ever takes the time you think it's going to. No. So I think I'm making like a 15 minute phone call. I book out like an hour for it because it, <laughs> if it gets done in 15 minutes, I got something I can fill my time with. That's there you go. Sure. You got 45 but, minutes left. Yeah. But so I kind of, I book that stuff out so that, you know, it's a lot of pre-game planning, but yeah. it's how I kind of stay on top of things. And then the other thing that helps me do is not worry about what's in the future. So I'm on today. I'm on this moment. I'm here and present. 
And I know that other stuff is booked somewhere yeah. on my calendar. So it allows me to, to actually like be present and live in the moment. And I find that helps me a lot just in terms of a getting things done, but more importantly, like having a sense of well being and, and being in my life as I do it. Yeah. Focus. Absolutely. Yeah. How long have you been a physical therapist and what inspired you to venture into the world of physical therapy? So that, you know, it's interesting when people ask me what I do, which you and I did before we hopped on here, I really struggled to say like, what, you know, who am I and what do I do? Cause I, yeah, because of all the hats in high school, I wanted to go to medical school. That was my plan to, you know, be a traditional MD. And I went to San Diego state for pre-med, pre-vet, pre anything, you know, you have to do all the, get some kind of degree and, and apply and do the MCAT and all that. And I was, you know, pre-med. So it was physical education and athletic training was actually the route that I took because it was all body-based activities. And I was also a dance major and my junior year of school, I got hit by a drunk driver. Um, My car was totaled. Yeah. It was a lot of problems, a lot of pain. And I had to downgrade my dance major to a minor But in the process, I worked with some orthopedists, some neurologists, a chiropractor, and got sent to physical therapy. And at that point, I realized all the other people got like five minutes with me. And the physical therapist actually spent their time with me. I got to see the same person. And I really liked that relationship dynamic. I don't like being a solo act. I like working in collaboration. And so I realized that, you know, I enjoyed my time in therapy more. It really let me draw on all of the knowledge that I had on being in my body and all the movement expertise that I had gained. And I did have an aunt who was a physical therapist. So I gave her a call and kind of asked her about her career and She had said to me, you know, I never really looked at my career in terms of what it might mean in being a mother, but she had said to me, you know, at the end of her career, that it was just a lot more flexible and sustainable as, you know, being a mother, which I agree. And it never gets boring because you can always switch into a different realm of it. You know, I've done different versions of it throughout my career. It has been super handy, all the knowledge with three boys who play sports and break (laughs) things and sprain things and get injured and- just so, boys. <laughs> definitely, definitely. So, you know, that's been great. And then, you know, interestingly, it's the internal part of it, the motivation and behavior change and, and really who the patient is as a person in the body that has really captured, I think my attention and that those are the factors that I think really matter in terms of will somebody get better? Will they get back to the things they love? You know, who are they doing it for? And so that's kind of what led me more into this wellness and prevention and just holistic well-being world. What would you say then excites or lights you up the most about being a physical therapist? I think it's that connection with the other human. You know, I think when I looked into starting my own business and what form would that take? What I recognized was that as either, you know, a physical therapist in the clinic, as a professor, as a mother, everything that I've done, I think the thing that I enjoy the most is that connection with somebody and that being able to hold space and help inspire them and educate them. And here is my favorite word, empower them, which is why (laughs) I love your podcast name because it's got my favorite word in it. But, you know, I think people know innately what they need or what they want. They don't often know how to tune into it. They don't often know how to put it into words or ask for it. And they don't know how to make it happen. So it's like one thing to say, I shouldn't smoke or I should sleep better or I should, you know, eat healthier or I should learn how to manage my emotions. We all know that what we don't know is how to do it. And so the empowerment piece to me is really being able to work with that person one-on-one and find their strategy, like what works for them, you know, their unique desires, their own individual life and empower them to tap into that existing potential that they don't know how to. So, you know, whatever title you throw on me, whatever hat I am wearing, I think that's really what lights me up is being able to change someone actually not change them, help someone change their life for the better. Cause it's not me. I'm yeah. not God. I'm not magic. I'm you're just the guide there. you're giving, you're providing the tools for them to use to implement those changes for them, for yeah. themselves. That's, that's huge. I mean, I'm very curious 
Tina, how did the opportunity for you to transition or get into the world of writing and being an author happen? So I am a self-proclaimed super nerd. Um, <laughs> I, the best gift anyone can give me is a book. I love to read. I, I mean, when I was a kid, I had a notebook and I started like writing down all the books I ever read. That is a whole waste of time because I've read a lot. And a lot yeah. of them I've read again and again. I had never journaled though. I, I started journaling kind of on my phone, on my notes, when things kind of got towards the end of my marriage and that was violated, you know, read. And those were my yeah. thoughts that I was trying to gather before I was ready to share them with anyone. So I, then I stopped and I had really learned to be silent in life. I mean, yes, I speak as a teacher, but that's saying things I'm supposed to say, or I'm right. allowed to but anything that was about me privately or personally, I did not express. I kept it inside my whole life. And so when my marriage did end and I started going to therapy and if there's a modality I haven't tried, somebody send it my way because I'm game. <laughs> I, love, I love trying and learning new things, but journaling, you know, came up as something that was suggested to me. And I didn't like it at first because it scared me to put my words on paper because I just didn't trust that the wrong eyes, you know, weren't yeah. going to read them. But I then did a workshop with a friend of mine who's actually a photographer in Toronto. Okay. And she led us through The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And I was really just looking to figure out who I was and what I liked to do. And I had always loved to color. I do love color. I love design. So I, you know, I was like, Hey, what the heck I need to do something new. And so in there, Julia Cameron has you do uh, morning pages where you just okay. freeform dump. And I started doing that. And I realized that a lot of things were coming out and becoming clear to me as I got all of the thoughts and emotions and expectations of the world and my family and society. And, and underneath that, there was the nugget that was me. And so there's a chapter in that book that talks about shadow artists and how a lot of times somebody who you're a photographer. So, you know, maybe for you, before you got into photography, you always were drawn to other people's images because yeah. You appreciate that, but you haven't yet seen that in yourself or learned how to do that. So my therapist at the time said, you bring your journal, you share these things with me, this wisdom that you really done a lot of work, read, watched videos, distilled, yeah. and you teach. And he's like, I really think you should, you know, write a book out of this. Hmm. And at first I said, no, because there's just a whole lot of private stuff that I'm not sure I will ever share right. with everyone. I just sure it's appropriate for my family and, and my ex, but I ended up recognizing that if I distilled out the parts that were just about me, about my journey and all of the things that I had tried and read and learned, if I shared them, they might help just one person. And so that was my goal was I'm going to write this book and my intention was to, you know, get a traditional publishing deal. And even if one person read the book and I got no publishing deal and I just gave them the word document. And I do remember my first person that it helped was one of my editors and she read it and she called me in tears and she said, wow. you did it. And I was like, what did I do? And she's like, you just changed my life. And wow. she's like, so your goal is met and anything after this is gravy. And I was like, okay, like, I'm ready. Like, let's put this baby out into the world. So along the way, I was invited by a friend I met in a business class to write a chapter in her multi-author book, which was called Significant Women, which was a challenge for me because I didn't see myself as significant at that point. So I kind of pushed myself into that. And in that, I wrote about what your metrics of success are, and mine were always defined externally. And at the end of it, the charity that we sponsored is called Elamu Girls. It's a friend of mine's charity. She read my chapter and she called me the next morning and she said, all right, I'm holding the mirror up to you. She's like, you're self-publishing. You're not going to put a book proposal together <laughs> and take three years to get this thing on the shelf. She's like, you're publishing it yourself and you're getting it out there and I'm holding you to that. So I can thank Cindy for being the fire that yeah. you know, lit me. And now it exists. And in Beautiful. creating it, I you know, decided to learn how to publish my own book, but decided to open a publishing house so that I could help others tell their story as well. Oh, incredibly powerful and beautiful. That is incredible. Absolutely incredible. So you are a publisher, you are a writer now. 
do you prefer to wear your author hat or your publisher hat? And what are a couple of things you enjoy most about each of those things? I think I wear the publisher hat more comfortably because I think it's, you know, it's interesting. My solo book launched in December and the first multi-author book I published launched in November. And it's just more natural for me to champion and cheerlead and support and encourage others than it is for me to do that for myself. So I I can say I did a really grave disservice to myself when I launched my own book. In hindsight, I should have treated myself like I treat my authors, but that's okay. It's not too late. I can relaunch it and republicize it. But I, so I really love it working in that collaborative space. And that's not to say that writing my own book isn't collaborative because I do have an editor and, you know, I have somebody that works with me in my business who's an amazing support. It was interesting how I'm proud of it. I think the process of writing my own book was the joy, not the actual publishing it, if that makes okay. sense. Yeah, Whereas yeah. publishing it, when a multi-author book comes out, that's the success for me because that's the completion of that, you know, journey for those people, getting to make that dream come true for them. So they have, they have different aspects that I enjoy, but I... I love researching. I love collating, not researching, like doing academic research. I've done that. I don't love that, <laughs> but like researching ideas and, yeah. and putting ideas together and making them make sense to everyone. I think that is what I love about writing my own book. And I have three I'm working on right now. So, you know, I do have, you know, a desire to, to do other things and I learn as I go. And then I like sharing that with others. So I guess there's different things I like about both of them. Which is great. Yeah. Now, what is it that sets your publishing company apart from some of the other publishing companies out there, do you think? I have written in six other multi-author books at this point in the past year, partially because the cover or the title or the topic called to me. And, you know, some were more whimsical and lighthearted. Some were really deep and, you know, had to force me to dig, dig deep. I've experimented with writing chapters of different lengths for different books. And I've enjoyed learning how other publishers do it, kind of what they provide for their groups. I think for me, I'm not sure it's what sets me apart. I do know that it's kind of my, I don't know, it's the thing that matters the most to me. Yes, I want you to tell your story in the best way you can. Yes, I want to make you a, you know, an international best-selling author. But I think for me, what I really want is you to have that journey of discovery on the way. So I think because I do have that, you know, therapist coaching hat that I can bring to the process, I think, our, you know, our group calls are, you know, sometimes you have people that are working with internal issues of you know, not being clear on their story or not knowing who they are. I can work with them on that. You know, the multi-author book I did in November was called Authentic. And these people were so courageous and brave to share, you know, their, their deepest moments. And then when it came down to it, there was a lot of fear of, of opening that door and being vulnerable and sharing that and the impact that could have on their family or their careers. So I really do try to hold, you know, like a group coaching space, group mastermind space in that so that everybody kind of up levels on yes, becoming a published author and yes, hopefully advancing whatever their cause or their business or their, you know, whatever they're doing, but really empowering them in their life to up level themselves, I think is maybe more core in my mission than maybe other publishing houses missions. Well, you also, as you mentioned, you've been in multiple multi-author books. So you also have that experience to pull from to create Tina's publishing company. You've seen what other publishing houses have done and how they do things. So you can pull little bits and pieces from each of those and meld that and mold that into your publishing company, which is great too, because you've had that experience, that, that exposure to all of these different publishing houses and how things are done. So yeah. And I'm so grateful to have that because I think it allows me to take those little bits and pieces that are the best of each of them and bring that. And I've had a lot of them come and speak, you know, to my groups or allow me to record so I can share it with future groups. You know, the things, you know, I, I'm not an expert. I wear a lot of hats. I always say I'm a Jack of all trades, master of none. I'm not actually sure that's true. I think I'm a master of a couple, but at this point I should probably own that. But 
but I recognize that others are more masterful in certain areas. And I also think just like, you know, when I teach my students, you know, they might like me, they might like my style, they might hear me say something, but when they hear somebody else say it a different way, it reinforces what I've said, or they hear it like they've never heard it before. So, you know, I really like to, to bring in whatever, you know, whatever my authors need to help them show up and tell their story the best way possible. Yeah. Your publishing company is called The Key. How did you come up with the name for the company? I had a struggle with the name when I was coming up with it. You know, being in the middle of a separation and a divorce, I keep joking. I need to come up with some really cool symbol and be the woman formerly known as, you know, and because I I mean, (laughs) really, seriously, seriously, um, you know, my maiden name is Tickler. So you can imagine being Tina Tickler growing up was, you know, quite a thing for a a really shy, naive Catholic school girl. And, you know, and Wellsom is my ex's name, but it's also the name I've carried my whole professional career. It's what my license is in. So it's been a challenge. And then, you know, even being Christina as my full name, you know, then I always have to change my Zoom name to Tina. So I feel like it's just, I have to, too many names and it's kind of confusing, but for the name for my company, you know, everybody wanted it to be my name and I didn't. And, you know, in hindsight, now I think about it, I didn't want it to be about me because it wasn't yeah. about me. It was about what I do with and for other people. So I kind of had to think about for me, what symbolism was important. And I have a very tiny silver Tiffany key <laughs> necklace that a student gave me. And she told me that whatever I did for each of the students was the key to helping them unlock their true potential, which is a, it's a topic that I teach in physical therapy in our DPT program. And so I think for me, I have always loved old skeleton keys and keys represent knowledge and mastery. And, and then when I, you know, started coming up with my keys to wellness, there's eight aspects of it. And yeah, it just kind of stuck. And I started playing with logos and I love it. And then when I opened the publishing business, it was like, is it going to be something else? And I was like, oh no, it's still, (laughs) you know, so it's the key, you know, the key to wellness is the coaching side and the key publishing house is the publishing side, but yeah, I'm, I'm very happy with the name of my book and I love my logo, which I helped create. So yeah, I should probably put it on my website as a PDF of like, why the key? There you go. Of course there was research that went into that too. Of course, of course. (laughs) What is one piece of advice you have for women who are looking to start their own publishing company? I think that they really think about what their mission for doing it is. You know, I think Simon Sinek talks about know your why. I think it's also really important to know your who, who are you? And, you know, who do you want to be every day? Who are you now? Who do you aspire to be? You know, certain people that we both know and love make it look really easy. Yes. Um, it, it is actually a lot of work behind the scenes. And it's, you know, to be a publisher, you have to be able to connect and bring in people. You have to be able to, you know, encourage and inspire and motivate. You have to make it feel possible to them. You have to know how like all the steps and the pieces. And, you know, I feel like it's kind of like with physical therapy publishing, it's the same thing. It's like, I can't write the book for you, but I know the path and I I can make it easier for you. I can help make sure it gets done. You have to, you know, work with graphic designers for cover art. You have to work with editors. You have to work with marketing professionals. You have to work with a host of, you know, personalities with your, with your writers. So there's a lot to it. There's a lot to juggle and there's a lot to learn. So I think really my advice would be know that you really want to do it and be passionate about it because there's a learning curve and, you know, there are people out there, mentors who can, you know, make it easier for you, but you're still going to have to show up every day and do the work when it's hard. And so I think know your why and know your who is this really, you know, who you want to be and how you want to live your life. What is the most inspiring part of your work in empowering women to become the authors of their own life story and remove barriers to success and unlock their full potential to live a creative life they love and share through their stories with the world? And what lights you up the most about that? I think that the most inspiring part is when a woman sees that she has the ability to carve that space out in her life, that, you know, her children and her career and her family of origin and her friends and her partner, yes, they're all important, 
but so is she. And so I think when she can actually see that there's a piece of her world that actually should still be hers. And so it's sometimes it's helping her see that. Sometimes it's helping her give herself a permission slip to take that, to encourage her when it's messy and uncomfortable. And I think for, you know, I, I know I speak for myself, but I, I've heard this from a lot of women. It's, you know, I talk about being selfish and, you know, we, I think we've just been so entrained to see that being selfless is the best thing that we can aspire to be. And if I am selfless, then I don't have a self. And then all of who I truly am is lost. You know, it's shoved in a dark corner and forgotten and in service of people I love, which is a great service and a great why, but I also have to have a relationship with myself. And I think, you know, we call that, then we say, well, that's selfish or self-centered or self-absorbed. And I don't think it has to be, I call it self-full or self-fulfilled. I think that you know, we all hear the, you know, the comments about put your oxygen mask on first or yeah. fill your cup first. And, you know, there's a reason we hear them and it's because they're true. Yeah. And, you know, I often tell, you know, people that I coach or authors, you know, they're worried about the investment of time and energy and money into themselves. And it's like the investment in yourself is actually going to pay forward in dividends for the people you serve because you're going to be the fullest, most embodied expression of who you are. And that can only serve to be a better example for your children, a more loving mother, a more, you know, in tuned, connected partner, a more, you know, valuable employee or more successful entrepreneur. And so I think for me, it's really seeing that moment when that catches fire and a woman really chooses herself. Yeah. chooses to be there for herself, chooses to love herself. I'm still working on the cure for the not feeling guilty and selfish part, but I'll, you know, I'll come back and talk about that there. one. That yeah. Out. yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, well, women are just natural nurturers and women always tend to put themselves on the back burner and put everybody ahead of them. That's just what women do. And you're right. It's time that women start taking back and owning their power and their authenticity and stepping into that and putting themselves first. There's nothing wrong with that. No. And I think what I have found, you know, both like through my own personal journey and as somebody who's done a 12 step program for codependency, you know, I think we always worry, well, if I don't do it or I don't make sure they do it, who's going to get it done. Yeah. Right. Well, here's the thing. If I step over here in my lane and I do what I need to do, I'm actually, again, empowering, right? Yeah. Instead of enabling the people in my world, I'm giving them the space and the grace and the compassion to do their thing and to step up for themselves. And that's actually a better learning opportunity for them to take that and to grow themselves and to have that empowerment moment. And then, hey, guess what? At the same time, I'm having mine. And yes. so to me, it's a win-win but it's scary because it's not what we, it's not what we know and we feel judged by it. So I think that as I started my business, you know, I first started it to be before the publishing house started, I first started the key to wellness to be like an educational space for people, almost like a dummy's guide to like what you learned in high school about health and your body, but you really didn't know you needed to know until you hit midlife and things started breaking down. Right. And then <laughs> yeah. you're like, Oh my gosh, I have this thing. Or, so I really wanted to take the stuff that I teach in the classroom and make that available direct to the consumer, you know, instead of yeah. passing it to my students and then letting them take it out. And, you know, and I've worked in every different type of physical therapy that you can do. I'm an orthopedic specialist, but I actually teach the psych component of our curriculum. So I teach about anxiety and depression and motivation and behavior change. And I started realizing that as I was creating these courses, I didn't just want to talk at people. What yeah. I really love in my teaching, our curriculum has a problem-based learning module. And so we do these small groups with people. It's like seven to 10 students. And we know what the case that we're discussing is, but really they're supposed to have the conversation and we probe and we guide and we coach them through yeah. that process. And I realized that that was really, if I looked at all the different teaching opportunities that I had, that was really the one I, I enjoyed the most and, and just felt most comfortable in. 
And I realized that's also what I do as a mother, right? You know, so I, you know, I teach a class called health, wellness, and prevention. And in that we explore as a physical therapist, what are the other roles that we are educated to play? So we can be consultants. We can, you know, go into lobbying and legislature and try to do health policy change. Wellness coaching is part of it. So I decided that, you know what, I actually liked that, that place a whole lot more. And it's interesting because I've invested a heck of a lot of money to be a manual orthopedic specialist and I use my hands and I still love that. But, you know, I think it's, it's really that piece of working with the client to figure out how to change their life or their mindset or their habits or their actions. So I had a business mastermind that I ran for a year with a group of people that I had taken some courses with. And I really loved bringing in those elements of wellness for them. So, you know, yes, we're so focused on our passion and our purpose and our business, but what about your heart and your emotions, your mind and your thoughts and your spirituality or you know, that deep part of you. Yes. Your body. Are you taking care of your health, your nutrition, your sleep, your exercise, yada, 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 that I'm kind of sick of that. I love that, but that's not, that's not at all the crux of what I love to do. And then you've got that whole internal piece of you that then interacts with the rest of the world, which is your relationships, your, you know, your career, your passion or your life role, the environment that surrounds you, and then your financial abundance. So your time, energy, and money. And I found that for me, that relationship piece is really what draws me. I love people. I love my students. I not in a bad way, but like, I just love getting to know them. I like learning about them. I like helping them develop, not just into good doctors of physical therapy, but into good people. I, you know, I think those life skills are so important. And so then it kind of took me into that. You know what? I'm going to, you know, get certified as a wellness coach. You know, it was like life coach, wellness coach. It's all these different types of, you know, coaching you can do. But for me, I think wellness really encompasses all of it. It's, it's your well-being, it's your health, it's who you are. And so that integration piece is really important to me. So yeah, that's how I decided. I think it was less about educating and more about working with and partnering with people. That makes sense. Do you use or incorporate your skills as a transformational coach into the work you do with your authors who decide to work with you at Key Publishing House? And if so, can you share a bit about how you do that? Yeah, I think we touched on that a little bit, Mm. but that's probably what I would say. My coworker talks about our special sauce at our school and that's our PDL program. I'd say that's kind of, you know, what I bring is that group coaching element. Um, But I do also, you know, different multi-author book programs have different levels of involvement and investment, right? You know, I can just show up and drop my chapter off and and peace out or you know, I really try to facilitate that group interaction so that, you know, I think one, I love doing one-on-one coaching too. I think there is a time and a space for that where people really do need your undivided attention and they need that privacy and that kind of sacred space. But I think when you have a group, you know, when I tell you something, you might assume, well, you're just saying that because I pay you. But if somebody else in the group says it or five people say it, it's like the power of the group. I also think the power of the group intention, you know, like you might be praying for your mom who's sick and everybody in the group can support that. And that support is just so much greater when it's from more than one person. Strength in numbers. Um, Yeah. And so I offer that to all of my authors that they can have, you know, developmental book coaching and, or, you know, interpersonal coaching on themselves and what they are trying to pull out of themselves. That's like an upgrade into their chapter. Some people are never sure. Do I want it? Do I need it? Sometimes I say, we'll start with the basic and see where the group gets you. You can always add on, you know, individual, if you need it, or something comes up, you don't feel comfortable sharing. But I also just think we know from the literature that peer modeling is really the most powerful teaching there is. So it's one thing for me to stand up and be like, oh, this is good posture, or this is good writing. But when you see another person that you maybe don't perceive as an expert, but you perceive more as being like you, maybe a new writer or a new person in taking care of their health or dealing with their emotions, 
But when they say, hey, I tried this thing and oh my gosh, it blew up my world in a great way. They're a lot more likely to take it because they see that person as being like them. So yeah, I think I can't, I can't help but bring it into all aspects. It's just kind of who I am. It comes with a package. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it gives people the permission when they see others doing it as well that are like them as opposed to the leader or the teacher or whatever word you want to use to describe that. But when you see other people who are experiencing that and having success or having luck with that, it gives them permission to say, Hey, this works for them. And I'm in the same position as them. So I'll give it a try too. Right. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And then I I get to learn too, because I said, I don't know everything. I learn every day from every person, from my children you know, I've seen zillions of patients with low back pain, but they're, not one is the same. And yeah. I learn from them either about the body and something new I can do, or I learn from them as a human being, something from yeah. their life experience or a piece of wisdom that they drop. So yeah, am- amazing lessons to be learned if you're open to them. Absolutely. As mentioned, you are an award-winning number one best-selling author, international best-selling author. Can you tell us a bit about the book and what inspired that? Sure. So I assume you're talking about my book, my yes. own book. Right now. Okay. Yes. So my book is called Loved, The Key to Unlocking Your True Potential and living an authentic life you love. And as I mentioned earlier, it was, you know, started with my morning pages and, you know, just dumping everything I was working through on my own. The title actually came from, I did some work with Danielle Laporte and she talks about your core desired feelings. So not setting a goal of like, I want to graduate or I want to lose 20 pounds, but why do you want to lose the 20 pounds? How is that going to make you feel in your body? Or if I graduate and get this degree, what is that success going to bring you in terms of how are you going to feel in your life? And so I, when I worked through that, you know, I did a lot of things trying to figure out who I was and what my core values were and what I really wanted out of my life. And I wrote down the five things that I wanted in my life was to be mentally and physically healthy, to be authentic, to really like know who I truly was, just me, not what everybody else wanted me to be. I wanted to feel joy. Um, I wasn't feeling really any emotions at that point. I was kind of numb. I wanted to have abundance in my life. I, I just felt like I was always scrambling to get by and I wanted to have more so that I could do more for others. And the last thing I wrote was that I wanted to feel loved. And she talks about in the book that what being careful of feelings that like for me to say, I want to be loved means there has to be somebody that loves me. Right. Right. And that that's not an internal goal or it's, it might not come from external. So she, you know, advised to say, I want to feel love or I want to feel loving and, you know, so I crossed or I erased the D I re- I always write in pencil so I can change things because, you know, <laughs> lessons and mistakes yes. are always coming. So I write Absolutely. In pencil, except in medical charts, I line it out and initial it like I'm supposed to, but so loved was what I wanted to feel. And, and when I looked at that list, it was really what I wanted more than anything, any of those things. And, but yet I kept saying, all right, I'll settle, I'll settle for being love. I'll settle for being loving. And what I kept cycling around as I wrote more and more about that was I already am love. That's just who I am. I don't, I think the only thing I actually hate is hate. So it's a double negative. So I love that how I see it. (laughs) And I do feel that I show up as loving. And what I realized was I really did want to be loved. And so then I started exploring that more and I recognized that I was loved by my children. And I was loved by my students and I was loved by my family and I wasn't letting that in. And really when it came down to it, I was being love and I was being loving to everyone around me, but I was not being loving or compassionate or understanding to myself. And so there was this moment as I worked through trying to find my self-worth and trying to learn self-care and self-compassion and and self-develop and figure out who I was and learn to accept who I am, good stuff, bad stuff, you know, light and shadow, that I really came to a point where it actually, I realized it went beyond acceptance and that I actually did love myself at that point. And so I realized that you don't need another person to feel loved. You just need to learn how to love yourself. So hence the title went from being the key to unlocking your true potential and living an authentic life 
to being really big and bold saying it's loved and it's got the D in the parentheses because <laughs> I struggled with that for a yeah. long time. And so, you know, I really, I really love that process that I went through and figuring that out. So I think, you know, the, the unlocking your true potential, that is just something that I've always done for my patients and my kids and my students. And so my journey was trying to figure out authentically who I was and how to create this life where I could actually show up and be me. And the desire for me was to feel loved. And I realized along the way that, you know, when we don't show up authentically, we don't give people the opportunity to actually know us for who we really are. And so even if we are, you know, married or committed or, you know, people say they love us, they don't know us. So then I yeah. think it leaves us feeling inside like, well, do you really? Because you don't really know me. And yeah. and I see that in a lot of people that I've talked to since that, you know, we're very scared to be open and vulnerable and authentic. Yet when we're not, we live in that state of doubt and insecurity because we think, well, how could you possibly love me? You don't know the skeletons in my closet and you don't know the, the, the evil mean thoughts I have in my head sometimes, or you don't know the insecurities. And so we, we kind of almost hide ourselves and block ourselves from being truly seen and heard and loved because of our fear, you know, our fear of rejection or our fear of being seen as not worthy. And I think when we can be courageous enough and show up that way, number one, we are secure in our own integrity and our own love for ourselves because we know who we are and we accept yeah. ourselves. And then we show up with others. I, I find in a better way, again, doesn't mean that showing up that way always gets you what you want, right? right. You rejected and, and yeah. you know, not the right person for somebody and that's okay. But it also, I think, allows you to connect with the people that you are meant to, to be with because- we connect with, yeah, for sure. Yeah, you're showing your puzzle piece the way that it really is, you know? That's it. And that's an empowering yeah. feeling that, that, that self-love, everything starts in my belief, everything starts with the foundation of self and then just yeah. emanates out from there. But self is the key to everything. Mm -hmm. And it is because you think about it, you know, they talk about friends or relationships may come for a reason or a season or forever. Yes. If you're lucky, right? Yeah. But even the person, you know, even if you got married young and stayed for, you know, till death do us part on your deathbed, you still are walking the road before that without them, right? Yep. Or there's you before your children. And yeah. you know, people do come and go. They might pass away before you. And, you know, I think that relationship with self is really the most critical one we have. And unfortunately, the one we know the least about how to develop. And it forms the foundation or the, you know, I think we have to be whole in ourself before we can, you know, become interrelated and interdependent is really the goal. We shouldn't be looking for people to fill that missing piece or complete yeah, us. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. You um, complete me. I cannot yes. stand when people say that. So would <laughs> I love a, a good looking guy with a British accent to say that statement to me? Yes. <laughs> Hell yes. But I recognize that I've got to be complete on my own and, yeah. you know, to, well, be, that, to, feel, to feel ready to even receive that statement. You well, know? That, that relationship with self is the most important and the longest standing relationship we will ever have in our lives. It's true. It's true. And, you know, we think about that authenticity piece and, you know, people say like, well, you know, my partner changed. Well, so did you like, yes. we change every day. I We're am evolving human beings. Yeah. I am a different woman today than I was yesterday. Yeah. And thank God, because some days are really bad. And I'm like, just go to bed and wake up a new woman tomorrow yes. and start again, you know, yeah. but you know, if we are changing individually, day by day, moment by moment, experience by experience, well, so are the people that we're interacting with. Yeah, and absolutely. So, you know, it, those relationships are always changing and evolving. And so we have to be open to that change and evolution and expansion in ourselves. But we also have to recognize that, you know, sometimes we might be rushing ahead or we might be lagging behind yeah. or standing still, but it's always that connection and that communication that has to be going on so that, you know, you can do life together in a right. somewhat peaceable way. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So I want to ask you about your favorite word 
What does mm. the word empowerment mean to you? So yeah, empower, that was actually on the top list of my name for naming my business. So okay. it had something to do with empower or it was a butterfly because I think that's like transformation and metamorphosis yes. mm -hmm. or it was the key. So for me, I have several coworkers who have EDDs, so educational doctorates, and my doctorate is in physical therapy. And so, you know, the EDD people are supposed to be the experts in education. And so they will always talk about how you have to engage a learner before you can educate them. And then you want to inspire them. And I always added empower at the end of that. And so one day my boss said to me, why do you always add on empower? That's not what I, what I tell you guys. And I was like, well, because I do need to engage and create rapport and connect with somebody. I 100% agree with that. I said, I do think that I want to inspire them that change is possible. I do think I need to give them the education or the information or point them in the direction to get it themselves. I'm like, but education without action or behavior change or without habit change is useless. It's just knowledge. And so I think that that's you know, a thing that often is where sometimes self-help books are great because they, they do change our awareness and we need that. And they do provide us education and they, they do that, but it's really that enacting it, putting it into experience. That is what causes the, the changes to be lasting and what actually create the behavior change and the life change that we want. So to me, empowering was giving somebody else the ability to make that change in their life. And it's not me doing it for them. Yes, there's times where I have to lift them up, hold them up, carry them when they can't do it for themselves or provide the belief and the faith when they can't find it for themselves. Yeah. But ultimately, my goal is I want to empower them to have that, to live that, to create that into their own life and take that with them. And so that's what empowerment means to me. Beautiful. What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? You know, when I took over teaching the psych component of our curriculum, we had a gentleman who taught it for a long time who had a PhD in psychology. He was older and he also went to Columbia, which is where I went for grad school. And he got his PT degree back when it was a certificate. So it wasn't an associate's degree. It wasn't a bachelor's degree. It was a certificate program. And so, you know, he'd been a physical therapist from the beginning of time, it seemed. <laughs> yeah. And he really was, you know, he really was knowledgeable about psychology and all of the behavioral change and motivational stuff. And when he retired, you know, they were like, well, okay, that's great. You're going to retire and travel and paint and do all these things, but you're still coming back and teaching like this core stuff. Right. And he said, no, and I'm done. I like, I've done my time. I've served, I'm going to yeah. live my life. And so we were like, well, who's going to teach it? And he looked at me and he said, Tina is. And I was like, I don't have a degree in psychology, you know, like why me? And he's like, because you just innately know this stuff. And he's like, I can cite the, the, the research. He goes, but this is what you do with the students or with your patients. That's just your magic. Like you, yeah. you care, they trust you and they share those things with you. And that allows you to motivate them or to empower them. And it was something that I hadn't realized that I was doing. You know, I just thought it was all the extra training I did and all the extra manual therapy skills. But, you know, I think if I'm truly honest with myself it's that connection that i make with somebody as a human being that is what allows me to help them have that transformation that they're looking for that is beautiful and what a compliment to you or your professor to to bestow that onto you like that's yeah. huge it is it really was so speaking of success how do you define that word what does that word mean to you so i mentioned that it was something that i had written about in the chapter i wrote in significant women is you know the metrics of success and i I actually screenshotted something that I was like, I've got to remember to pull this up because I thought it was exactly perfect. So I think everybody should have their own metric for success. You know, I think for me, part of what I wrote about in that chapter was I had thought that, you know, I was supposed to graduate high school, go to college, find a profession, get a job, fall in love, get married, have kids and live happily ever after. And all of a sudden it was like, I did all those things right and I was loyal and I was committed and I gave my all every day. 
and I wasn't living happily ever after. So of course that means I did something wrong along right. the way. And I think one of the things I did wrong was buy into this story that there's only one way to be happy or to be successful. And so I think that that's part of, yes, I need to know my why, why am I doing what I'm doing, but I also need to know my who, who am I? And what do I bring to the table? And who do I want sitting at my table? And who am I when there's nobody at the table, right? Like that, I think is, you know, that piece of knowing yourself and being comfortable with yourself and, and really being present in the moment of life, you know, all the moments of life, your life, your one precious life, you yeah. know, to me is like the success that I personally am going after. And I'm not saying that's the answer for everybody else. That's just the answer that I've arrived at. But this was the quote that I read yesterday. And I thought I'm gonna have to save this. It says, everyone fails at who they're supposed to be. The measure of a person is how well they succeed at being who they are. That is brilliant and so powerful because we 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 are conditioned that we're supposed to do all the things like you mentioned. Go to school, get a job, get married, have kids, da 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 da. Life isn't like that. And not everybody wants the same things in life. Not everybody wants to have a family. Not everybody right. wants to get married. So just be who you authentically are and don't give a shit what anybody else thinks or says, which is hard. That's not easy to do. Oh, but the more of us that embrace that, the more we give those around us permission to live that way as well, right? Absolutely. And I think the more that we show up authentically, the more we see where we fit and and jive and, and belong and where we feel good and where we maybe don't. Yeah, we find our tribe. Yeah, absolutely. What would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? I think it's the one that's been kind of, you know, they say that, uh, that the universe, you know, might whisper a message, and then it might speak up a little louder. And then if you fail to listen, it might throw a brick at your head or hit you yeah. with a or throw, <laughs> hit you with a two by four on the back of the head. Yeah. Throw a deer in front of your car or yeah. whatever. So I do think that the message that the universe is throwing at me or hitting me with at this point this year is that I am my own worst problem, which sucks because I am a person who takes accountability and has lived a life of shame and blame of my own accord. And that hurts and it's awful to hear. But the flip side of that coin or, you know, the light of that shadow is that if I'm to blame, I'm also the person that has the power to change. And it's hard, but it's, I think it's really the most truthful thing that I've come to realize. And I, you know, I think I've been learning it in stages all along over the last five years. You know, I had a, a, a feeling that I never really belonged in my family of origin. And my brother called me out on it one night and, and he said, you know, he asked me the question and I said, yeah, I, you know, I don't feel like I belong. I, I feel like you guys all have your way and my way is just different. And I recognize that as I worked through, you know, some past childhood traumas and things that I was the one that walled myself away because I kept those traumas to myself. I didn't trust my brother was eight years younger. So, you know, that who he wasn't, he was a baby. I was taking care of him. You know, I did not go to my parents for help. I did not trust that they could handle it. I didn't trust that they could be there for me. I didn't trust that they could handle the shame it would bring on them or our family. And I made the decision to isolate myself. Nobody cast me out. I did that to myself. And, you know, as an 11 year old, what the heck did I know? Right. Yeah, of but, course. You know, I, I acted out of protection for not wanting them to feel the harm or the shame or the pain that I was going through. And I felt like I should just be able to bear it on my own. And once I recognized that and shared that with my brother and my mom and my dad and shared what had happened to me because they had no idea, I think it gave them a new understanding of me and, you know, why I was the way I was, you know, why I was so closed off or protective or, or that I self isolated or kept quiet or shut down or was emotional or whatever I was. Yeah. And it gave me now the ability to, you know, when those emotions hit, I can share them with them. And I don't feel like the outsider that's 
you know, not normal or shameful or whatever. So I think, you know, the universe has kept turning up the volume on that lesson over the last <laughs> few years. So I'm, I, you know, I have to say, I hear you and I, I'm working on it. I obviously haven't mastered it because I keep coming back to it. So, well, yeah. congratulations on listening and hearing it and starting to take the steps in the right direction with dealing with that. I think that's huge. And again, this, this has been popping up for me a lot lately is we as humans need to celebrate the small wins, the success, the successes, the wins, no matter what size, small, large, it doesn't matter. We don't do that. We we just do not because we get so caught up in everything that's going on around us that we're always, we, we finish one thing, we complete one thing and we're right on to the next one without taking the time to slow down and celebrate and enjoy that and realize, Hey, I did this. I deserve to celebrate me. So good for you for doing that. I think that's incredible. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. And I think that is so true. I, I have always been the person that's like, okay, I do something, check it next. You know, I'm there you go. That's, that that's just what we do innately as humans, right? Yes. And it's been very interesting as I've been, you know, working with the difference between, or, you know, what my scope of practices as a physical therapist or as a wellness coach, therapy is very much that problem solving model. I collect data. I find a problem. I solve it. It's a short-term goal. And I'm on to the next short-term goal. And I'm always fixated on the end goal. And coaching for me feels like such a healthier space because it is exploratory and we do expect failures and we do expect those to be lessons that we learned. And we celebrate the failures because they're something that you tried. It's something that you learned. It's something that you experience and resilience and more knowledge of the direction you want to go. And it's fascinating to me, like I saw a handout recently or a comparison of like the difference between them. And it's like talking about putting on the coaching hat versus the physical therapy. hat. I'm like, I like this coaching space so much better. It feels so much healthier. And there's a lot of that that is starting to filter into physical therapy as well. So I actually gave our students get their white lab coats before they go out on clinicals. And we had our white coat ceremony last week and I gave the faculty a dress and, you know, I struggled with doing it the academic way and the right way and the way that was expected. And I kind of went rogue and I decided to do it the, the Tina way. I think that's the name I can claim. I'm Tina. I'm there just going to be go. a four letter word. I like yep. my four letter words. There I say them with passion, <laughs> love, four letter swear words, Tina. Yep. I'm just going to be Tina. But I decided to do it the Tina way. You know, it's the faculty address and I'm supposed to give my wisdom to these students. And I have spent the last year with them. I get to see them a lot in their first year. And I realized that, you know, I was there representing the faculty and that I could look, honestly, look at each one of my colleagues and that I have learned lessons from them. And so I chose to, instead of saying, here's my points of what you should remember, I chose something that I learned from each of my colleagues that I have integrated into who I am in the time that I've worked with them, that I want to make sure that the students see in them and recognize and taken to themselves and take that out to the patients that they're going to work with. And I felt so good doing it. First of all, let me celebrate that one. I was going to say what happened externally, but internally I felt so good because it was 100% me. I didn't feel nervous. It was a little nervous about how my boss was going to respond to it because it wasn't his style, but it was me. It was as authentically vulnerably raw, truthful, how I live my life, lead by example, me. And I enjoyed it. I felt so much better doing it than any other thing I had ever done at the school in the 15 years I've been there. And my coworkers like each got up and gave me a hug after. And I got messages from people watching the live stream. My phone was like blowing up and I'm like, what is (laughs) going on here? People like, you know, in the educational media department, you know, who were watching it, managing it, they're like, that was just the best talk we've ever heard. And cause it came from the heart and there I thought, go. okay, like I'm going to hold on to this moment. And this is, yes, life's been throwing the, you know, the challenges my way, but life also gave me this moment where I got to shine and I'm going to, I'm going to roll in it. I'm going to be talking about this for the next three months, just so you yeah. know, in case there's not another win coming up, but you know, I do, I think it's really important for us to celebrate. Yes. The small wins. Yes. The big wins. But even the 
failures because yeah, we absolutely. tried. It meant we took action. It meant we were brave. It meant we learned something. So there even, you go. I think celebrating, you know, I say mistakes are only mistakes if you keep making them. Otherwise, mm-hmm. they're lessons. And, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And that's what failure is, is lessons. 100%. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? I would say my grandmother, my my father's mom. She lived to be in her 90s and she had congestive heart failure and was on oxygen and I don't know, weighed like 80 something pounds and could hardly, you know, get through a meal, you know, eating because she was so short of breath. But um, she was a pioneer. She, you know, lived through the Great Depression. She was one of the first women to get a post-secondary education. And she was a an elementary school teacher. She played women's basketball when women played it in wool skirts and wool sweaters. She was an avid sports fan. Go Pack Go from Wisconsin. But the word that always came to my mind when I thought of her, and it's really when I look at like my higher self and how does my higher self feel, the word is content. And she never had it easy. She never had, you know, tons of money or, you know, an easy life. She gave tirelessly. You know, when you go to a funeral of a 90 something year old person and it's full of people whose lives that you have that have been touched, students, kids of students. I mean, she lived in a small town in Wisconsin. Everyone knew her. But no matter what her day was like, she was content. And her contentment came from knowing that she could pick up the phone and have a conversation and or even just watch as the lives of her kids and her grandkids unfolded. And I just admire that. You know, I think we're everybody's searching for, you know, everything, right? We all want it all. Yeah. I just want to be happy with what I have. And I, you know, and I, and I think for the most part there, I hear people say that about me. And then I think, well, maybe I'm more like her than I give myself credit for. There you go. But I think, you know, that is for me is to be content, to be appreciative and grateful for all that I have and for what is still left to come and to be present and, you know, enjoy it in the moment. Beautiful. What do you do to keep yourself inspired every day and to inspire others? I start every day by I get up, like I told you, I start with my gratitudes, but even before I do that, I usually stretch and I connect with my body. So, you know, I'm grateful to be alive. I'm grateful to be able to move. I'm grateful to be able to sit up on the edge of my bed. I'm a real big believer in the power of breath. You know, it is the first and the last thing we do in life. So I, you know, take some deep breaths to kind of connect with myself and my higher power and you know what I'm here to do today my three sons are really what keep me going though they're my reason for they're my why I never was the woman that said you know I want to be a stay-at-home mother or motherhood is my you know my goal but it is absolutely the hardest job I never knew I wanted the thing I think I take the most pride in the thing I'm hardest on myself about but my kids are what keep me going every day. You know, I live for a hug from them. That's just the best gift I can get. Hey, we're going to jump into a little rapid fire section. So the next grouping of questions, just be one, two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. All right. How would you describe yourself in one word? Resilient. If you're writing your autobiography, what would the title be? Loved. (laughs) She was loved. Damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Would you rather have more time or more money? You know, they say money can't buy happiness, but it can buy you time. (laughs) It can buy you people to help free you up and you can use it to help others. So I think I'm a pretty good user of my time. So I'm going to go with money. If you could have one superhero superpower, what would it be? Oh, that one's easy to heal the world. What is your favorite word? Empower. If you could teach the world one thing, what would that be? To be selfful and love themselves. What's one thing you want, but cannot buy with money? my relationships with my sons. If you could change one thing about the world, what would you change? I would like to see people look for ways that they are similar and communicate and collaborate towards solutions instead of highlighting, underlining, you know, putting in bold why they're different. I'd like to see unity. Includes our rapid fire section. Now back to a regularly scheduled program. (laughs) if you had the opportunity to sit down and speak have a one-hour conversation with one woman any woman in the world who would it be and why 
besides the women that I already get to speak with, which is a privilege, a woman that I do not know that just always grabs my attention is Ariana Huffington of the Huffington Post. I don't think I've ever seen her put out something that does not resonate with me. So I would love to meet her as an individual and, and just know who, you know, who she is. And yeah, I think she just inspires me. Yeah. What does the best version of Tina look like when you close your eyes and imagine it? She is content. She is standing in a kitchen. There's the smell of lemons. The sun is shining. There's a saltwater pool. She knows that she gets to spend her day with people that she is impacting and that are having an equal impact on her. She feels loved and she knows that the people she loves feel that from her. Beautiful. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? I think this is the brick that's being thrown at my head. I would ask for help. I would not do it alone. I would let people be there for me. Beautiful. Lastly, if you were to deliver your last 30 second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, your ladies, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words would you say? What wisdom would you impart? Remember that for me, it's not my ladies because I believe equally in the empowerment of men. I think society has uh, made it difficult for all of us to be our highest empowered self. So I would be speaking to men and women. I want to remind people that hurt people hurt people and that we have all been hurt in some way, whether it was intergenerational trauma or trauma that happened to us or trauma that we don't even realize we have, but it's societal trauma. And that by recognizing that we are the power to heal, we have the power to heal ourselves by turning into that self-fulfilling place, you know, being brave enough to be selfish and to recognize that's not a bad thing, but that if you can heal yourself or work on your healing. I'm not sure it's a, it's a done deal. I think it's a process that we're yes, always in. Absolutely. But, but I think that healing people have the power to heal the world. And that when we can come from a place that's more fulfilled and more healed and more complete and more authentic and more full of love, that's when we are able then to meet our neighbor or the group we're speaking to or our opposition and have that communication and that collaborative opportunity to be the change that we want to see. Or as I've been encouraged lately, I need to get a little bit more passionate about it to be the motherfucking catalyst to change the reaction (laughs) and to really, and catalysts don't get used up in the reaction, which I love. So you can start the reaction, you can perpetuate the reaction, you can facilitate it, you can keep it going. But I think, you know, again, We're not men and women. We're not love and hate. We're not black and white. We're not Republican and Democrat. We are human beings and we are all meant to be happy and healthy and well and loved. And when we can be in that place, then we can all do our part to elevate the experience that the entire world is having. So that is what I would say. Beautifully said. Very eloquent. Tina, thank you so very much for taking the time to be here with me today. And share your thoughts, your journey, your story. This has been such a beautifully inspirational and insightful conversation. I have thoroughly enjoyed every minute of it. I appreciate you. Keep doing the beautiful work that you're doing and shining your bright, beautiful light onto the world and helping all that you help, helping everybody that you help. I appreciate you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure having you and I'm honored and so happy and excited to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. So thank you. Thank you for having me. And I can mirror all of that back. And I recognize that if you're seeing that in me, that you have that in you as well. So thank you for the time and all that you are doing. I'm so grateful for it. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Tina Wellsom. She is a physical therapist, the owner of The Key to Wellness and The Key Publishing House, a holistic transformation coach, an international bestselling author, and last but certainly not least, a mother. Thank you so much, Tina. Have an amazing rest of the day. Thank you. You too. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. 
Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.